The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. All right, we're looking at the uh, story of Jonah, and we're actually going to read all 48 verses, so don't get too, too scared. We're going to read the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah, I want you to see if you can find it in your Bible. So if you go to the prophets, you want to go past Isaiah, past Ezekiel, past Hosea, past Amos, and even Obadiah. If you get to Micah, you went too far. There's this little prophet of Jonah. You will have the slides up there. But I think I'd like you to follow along. If you could follow the story in the Bible, this is uh, such the literary... uh, genius of this book is just wonderful and I'll kind of point out a few things to look for but I think it's meant to be this is very much satire uh, and it's very much supposed to be irony and the point of satire is is to be uh, outrageously funny so that it exposes but it's also meant to humble but where this is ultimately going is that it ultimately is the boomerang and it should ultimately make us laugh and be able to see ourselves that we're a lot like this, and that the humbling is actually not just meant for Jonah, it's all Israel would have known itself to be rebuked in Jonah, as one uh, writer has said, and we as the church should see ourselves as we're a lot like Jonah. And what you're gonna see in this story, as as you think as we read through it, I just want you to see how does Jonah love people in, in the story, And how do other people love in the story and see what a contrast it is. And then look at some of these telling verbs, adverbs. The the adverb exceedingly is a big one. Look for that. Look for the the, uh, adjective great, which is used a bunch. Uh, The word down, um, the verb uh, is uh, down is used a bunch. Um, The word but and then kind of the... That really moves the story as you follow through this. But these, there's a lot of repetition. So look for the repetition and listen to the story. Listen to the ironies. Think about the things that make you laugh the most when you read this story because we'll talk about that. Here we go. This is God's word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried to his God and they pulled the cargo that was in the ship in the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? I love how the Septuagint, by the way, says here, uh, why snorest thou? And uh, it says when he fell fast asleep that he was actually snoring. So Jonah is just snoring away and, um, and the captain says, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And then they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. 
So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose, whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up. You brought up my life in the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was wasting away or fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forfeit their hope of steadfast love. But... I, with a voice of trans thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call, call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a past and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent, turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. 
Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat underneath it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah that he might be, there might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Well, the title to the message is Our Great God Pities the Great City. Notice the bookends of the book. How does it begin? We are told that Jonah, now Jonah is uh, writing in around seven, uh, between 793 and 753 B.C. And these Ninevites are a wicked people. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about them as we go, but uh, they're going to actually conquer uh, the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. And yet God refers to them as, go to Nineveh, that great city. And how does the book end? The book ends with, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? And when he recommissions Jonah in chapter 3, he tells him again to arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And we know that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city in chapter 3, verse 3. Really? Nineveh is a great city. Do, are we seeing the world as God sees it? Because God says, should I not have pity on Nineveh? And the whole point of the story is to show us that Jonah does not, and he does not think that God should have any pity. I mean, he is holding out nuke Nineveh signs, nuke Nineveh. He goes off to start his own denomination on his own island, off to, to see what's going to become of the city. He can't wait for the nuke Nineveh to happen. He wants God to bring destruction on these wicked people. And yet God has pity on them. And Jonah's saying, that's why I ran away in the first place, because I knew that you were going to do this. And so we get this picture of our great God pities the great city. But who does God really pity in the book? Who is God most patient with in the book? Who's the antagonist in the story? You see, the story is all about Jonah. It's God's pursuit of Jonah. It's God's patience with Jonah. It's God's providence in ruling everything that happens in the whole book, whether it's the wind that comes up, the great tempest that comes up, whether it's the fish that's going to swallow him, the fish that's going to vomit him, put him on dry land. It's going to be the, the God who's going to raise up the vine and raise up the shade and then raise up the worm and bring it down and then bring the wind and bring the heat. It's God controlling everything in the whole story of his providence to win one person in particular, to bring about God's plan to show God's pity and God's heart for the nations 
and in particular, this one person who's the most hard-hearted, stubborn person in the whole book, everybody repents in the book. Everybody, except one person. And the story ends with a question, and we are not given the answer. Should I not pity Nineveh? The city of 120,000 people and much cattle? And we're not given the answer. We're just left. It's just like the same paradigm as Luke 15, where the father comes out, the prodigals come home. Unbelievable. Kill the fatted calf. It was fitting that we celebrate and be glad. He goes out to the elder brother, and the elder brother is mad as a hornet. This son of yours, when he comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. He devoured your livelihood with prostitutes. What are you doing showing that kind of pathetic, pitiful mercy to this prodigal? And God's big heart leaves you at the end of Luke 15, and we don't know what happened to the elder brother. We know that two sons left home. Two sons, each wanted God for their own purposes. Each ran away for their different reasons. But we know that one returned, the prodigal returns, but the elder brother, who should have been weeping and kissing and running to him and grabbing his neck and hugging him and kissing him and being the master of ceremonies is doing nothing, but he's mad. And we have the same pity party going on here in Jonah 4 because we have the same paradigm of Jonah with the prodigal son, elder brother. Jonah's a prodigal in chapter one, he runs away. And now he's an elder brother in chapter four. And he's mad that God is so compassionate. And so we're left with the question, just like Luke 15 doesn't answer the question. Do we know if the elder brother ever came into the party? Did the elder brother ever repent? We don't know. Do we know if Jonah ever repented? We have the book. We have the book, so he must have, he's now writing it for us to know that you can laugh because guess what, Israel? All of you are being rebuked in me. You're all identified with me. This is how all of Israel felt towards these Ninevites. And it's meant to be a rebuke to the church. This, this is the world rebuking the church book, meant to be comedy, meant to be satire, because everybody else does what's right. And Jonah is doing everything wrong. Did you catch some of these comic things going on? I mean, the mariners show us how to love your neighbors. They're a beautiful picture of what to do on a boat. Oh my goodness, we got a storm coming up. I mean, well, our precious possessions, all of our cargo, all of our precious goods are being heaved overboard. Is Jonah throwing anything overboard? Oh no, what does Jonah do? He's snoring. He goes down, down, down. You know, we're getting this picture of him. You know, he's called to arise and go. Go and preach. Go and preach. Arise. What does Jonah do? Down to Joppa, down to the fair, down into the ship, down to take a nap, down in the bottom. He's, and then he's down at the bottom of the sea by the, by the end of chapter 2. It's not going so well for Jonah. But what we're seeing from Jonah is you have sins of commission, but his sins of omission are even worse. I mean, a sin of commission is just running away from God. You see his pride, he thinks, well, I'm just going to, I'm out of here. God has called me to, to love this city, and he's probably a lot like us, like, man, I don't love that, this area I'm living. I don't really love my neighborhood. I don't really love my coworkers. I don't really love the traffic. I don't really love all these people. I don't love all these languages I'm hearing at Costco. I don't love all these languages I'm hearing at Walmart. Do I love the city where God has placed me? Four out of the ten most diverse Cities in the United States of America 
are right here. We're living in one of the most diverse areas in all of America. There's only one city ahead of us, it's Jersey City, New Jersey. We are the most diverse area. And we love and we say, oh, we're not have to pay all this money to send these missionaries to take the gospel because they've all come here. And we have this wonderful opportunity. Are we thankful for that? Jonah wasn't. I mean, he's, he's a Christian nationalist before Christian nationalism was popular. But, you know, he's, he's saying, I'm a Hebrew. And this is what I said when I was in my country. As he begins chapter 4 and he gives his pity party to God of why he's so angry. This is not what I said when I was in yet my country. That's why I made haste to flee in the first place. Because I knew that you were like this, God. I knew you were gracious. I knew you were merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. What's the irony? The irony is everything that God is, Jonah is not. God is gracious, Jonah is not. God is merciful, Jonah is not. God is slow to anger, Jonah is not. God's abounding in steadfast love. Jonah's not. Jonah has great theology, great preacher. I mean, he preaches a sermon and he doesn't even make it to the other end of the city and the whole city repents. And he's got great prayers in chapter two. I mean, full of theology, heart of the Psalms, echoes from prophets and Psalms just oozing out of this prayer. I mean, it's wonderful. But everything that God is, Jonah is not. So what do we see? Well, we have this picture of Jonah, Jonah being pitiful, prayerless, prejudiced, pathetic, prideful, pompous, pouting, and pharisaical. And what do we have God? God is pursuing, patient, providential, bringing about his plan and showing his pity to reach his man. And who's he trying to reach this morning? He's trying to reach you before he's going to reach any nations. He wants to reach his church because we're just like Jonah. We get so disgusted with the things we watch on the news, the things that we get frustrated. I know because it's me. I mean, when this gas blower law was about to pass in Montgomery County before they hit the pause button and they're going to take away my gas blower from me, I mean, I was, I was belly aching pretty bad. Because then they're going to take my chainsaw. Then they're going to take my lawnmower. Like, you know, the whole world's coming down. They're going to take my backpack blower. I said, man, Lord have mercy. Pray for your pastor. Help me to love the very place where he's placed me. But we tend to get disgusted with things around us and we want to just go live on an island. I want to take a vacation. The only time Jonah is exceedingly glad, the only time we see any positive affection from Jonah in the book is when? It's meant to be very much very humorous. The only time that he's affectionate in the book is when the plant comes up and now he's got it made in the shade. It's the first time he's happy in the whole book. He should have been celebrating that all the people repented. Instead, he, he should have been over there in Nineveh, dancing and partying, high-fiving, loving the people. Instead, he's moved on out of the city. He went out of the city, get away from as far as he can. He got a big sign, Nuke Nineveh. He's waiting for it to happen. I'm just going to wait and see what God's going to do. But I'm sure hoping he's going to bring disaster on those people because they sure deserve it. They deserve it. Who was shown the most grace in the whole book of Jonah? Who deserved to be nuked? Because who had the most revelation? Who had been shown the most grace? 
I mean, God's grace to, to Jonah was to actually bring about a storm, bring about a wind, bring about a tempest, bring about a fish, swallow him up. And to me, the most humorous part of the story is chapter 2, verse 1. I just get a great chuckle out of that. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Of course, verse before just says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. Now let's get a picture of this. The mariners have been praying all along. From the moment the storm hits, they're praying. They're calling to their God. They're waking him up saying, why snorest thou? Like, how can you be snoring when we're throwing all the possessions overboard and we're about to die? We're call on your God. And they, they ask, you know, they're, they're, they're praying. They're doing everything they can. And Jonah's asleep. He ain't praying. Then they wake him up and they say, tell us about who, who are you? And he tells them, I fear the Lord. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. Does he fear the Lord? Verse 9? No. Who fears the Lord? Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. They show us what it means to fear the Lord. The Ninevites fear the Lord. This is the world rebuking the church, the church being the, the taillights, not the headlights. And the, the, the world is way ahead. They're praying. They're doing everything right. At first they start calling out to their God. But now what do they do? They knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, all caps. They knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh. And now they're wondering, what do we do? And, and Jonah just says, well, just throw me in. Just hurl me overboard. Not, not like, do you, is Jonah praying at any point at this point? He should have been praying. Does he pray? Just throw me overboard. Just throw me. I know this great tempest come on you because of me. Basically, I've, I've ruined this whole ship. I'm not doing anything to help. Do we see Jonah laying a hand on any row here? Because they fought all the harder to row back to dry land, but not Jonah. Oh no, he doesn't do anything to help his company. He doesn't do anything to help his workplace. He's just rooting for disaster. He's, now he's just like having a pity party. They're rowing towards the shore, and they finally get to the point where they got to throw him into the water, into the sea, and then we're told the mariners all repent. They feared the Lord exceedingly. They sacrificed sacrifices and vowed vows is literally what it says. And we don't get Jonah doing that to the end of chapter two where it says the end of chapter two where it says that Jonah now actually says, I with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you and I will vow what I have vowed I will pay. He's a little late to the party. He's finally praying. Is he praying when the storm comes? Is he praying when the wind comes? Is he praying when the fish comes? Is he praying when he gets swallowed? Is he praying after day one? Is he praying after day two? Day three, he finally starts to pray from the belly of the fish. Day three, we're told, then he prays from the belly of the fish. Oh, Jonah. It reminds me of a story Jack Miller told about. One time he was called at 3 a.m. Jack Miller was this great pastor up in Philadelphia, started World Harvest Mission, a lot of New Life churches, wrote a lot of books. And Jack tells a story at 3 o'clock in the morning. He got a call, and this guy's in the hospital. Somehow he knew Jack, and he's pleading with him, you got to come see me in the hospital. I've got terrible news. I need to talk to somebody about God. So Jack gets up in the middle of the night, puts on clothes. His pastor goes to the hospital, and he goes to visit this man. And the man, what happened was they had read him the wrong chart. And they had told this guy in the middle of the night that 
you're terminal, you're stage four, basically get your house in order, it's all over. But then they realize, oh my goodness, we, we've read the wrong chart. It was all a mistake, you're, you're actually okay. And so Jack gets there in the middle of the night and the guy says to Jack, I'm, I'm good, I don't need you now. Because I'm not terminal now. I'll, I'll, I'll call for you when I'm stage four, you know. And that's kind of how we do is we, we go to God last, as C.S. Lewis says. We, you know, it's the very last thing we will consider. We wait till the ship is going down. Jonah's been in the fish three days and now he starts to pray. But he does pray and he does have this great theology and he prays to the Lord and he does go and he goes and he proclaims this message but we're given a picture then of the mariners. Not only they, they show us what love looks like and doing everything they can to save Jonah's life, but then in chapter three, we're given a picture of what repentance looks like. And it's not from Jonah, it's from the king. The king shows us how to love your neighbor. The king does everything right. The word reaches the king. What does the king do? He arose from his throne. He removes his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth. He sits in ashes. He issues a proclamation. He tells everybody, declares a fast that nobody's allowed to eat anything. Let neither man nor beast and let be covered with sackcloth. Everybody call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. And then he has this theology of who knows, maybe God will relent and turn from his anger, but we're gonna do everything within our means possible to do what we need to do to save our community, to save our city. What does Jonah do in contrast in chapter four, verse five? I mean, you got the king doing that and you got Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waited till to see what would become of the city. A Little bit different than the king. And what do we see? Everybody repents. All the people from the greatest to the least, everybody's repenting except for Jonah, except for Jonah. And Jonah is so mad at God because a world where God is this gracious and this merciful and a God who would love the Ninevites like this is a world that Jonah doesn't want to live in. And so Jonah's just saying, Lord, take my life. Now you think about this, Nineveh was this city that was notoriously wicked. It's modern day Mosul, Iraq. They worship the goddess Ishtar. And the Assyrian name for Ishtar was Nineveh, which is translated as Nineveh. These were idle pagan worshipers, and they were mean. They skinned people alive. They cut off the noses of their enemies. They'd hang them in front of their cities to die. They had a horrible reputation. And yet God refers to them as a great city whom he pities. Jonah wants nothing to do with them, runs away twice from the city, and yet the boomerang now is for us to say, do we love this city where God has placed us? Do we love Gaithersburg? Do we love Clarksburg? Do we love Germantown? Do we love Olney? Do we love Damascus? Do we love Rockville? Do we love Washington, D.C.? Do we love Montgomery County? Do we love the places? Do we pity our neighborhoods? Do we pity where God has placed us? Because the whole point is for, for us to see that God... Um, has a great heart for the world and for the nations. And Israel was to be a light to the nations. But Israel failed and Jonah failed. And Israel was to see itself being rebuked in Jonah. 
And this should all point us to the opposite of Jonah, Jesus. You see, Jesus is just the opposite uh, of this picture because Jesus loves the city. He wept over the city when he came into Jerusalem. When Jesus sees the multitude, he had compassion on them for they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And when they, after John the Baptist had been beheaded and they're, they're on their way to take a vacation, to get a little break, get away, and he's got his disciples and they're on the boat and the people on the shore are faster than the boat and they get to the other side. And when they get there, nobody's getting a day off and Jesus had compassion on them and taught the multitude and then fed the 5,000 men, which was a lot more than 5,000 people, because he had compassion on them. And we see that God's big heart for the world is to be our big heart for the world. And so what we're seeing from this is that Jesus has come to us, and he's just the opposite of Jonah. If you look at Jonah 1.12, Jonah says, I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Think about that now from Jesus' perspective. <clears throat> Matthew Henry has this great quote about Jonah 1.12, and he says this. I think we have a slide of it. There it is. The storm Jonah gave himself up, up to still was of his own raising, but the storm which Christ gave him up to still was of our raising. Yet as Jonah delivered himself up to be cast into a raging sea that it might be calm, so did our Lord Jesus Christ when he died that we might live. And so Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He goes to the city. And then he is led out of the city, just like Jonah was led. And Jonah went out of the city, but Jonah went out of the city with the nuke Nineveh hopes. Jesus went out of the city with a cross on his back. And he went out of the city and was crucified at the garbage dump between two thieves. He loved the city. He died for his people. And we're told in Matthew 12, verses 38 to 41, we're, we're, told that <clears throat> we're told some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, three times in Matthew 12, Jesus says something greater is here. He says someone greater than Solomon is here. I'm the king. He says someone greater than Jonah is here. I'm the prophet. And I'm a prophet greater than, than Jonah, that all these people repented at him and that generation's gonna rise up. I'm a greater prophet than Jonah, repent. And he also says that when he came in and David, or at the Sabbath, and David came and, and ate of the showbread and, and, and Jesus is saying that he can do what he wants on the Sabbath because he's the greater priest that has these priestly privileges. He's the prophet, he's the priest, he's the king. And someone greater than Jonah is here. He was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, just as Jonah was, but Jesus is the sign that he gives as his resurrection. He laid down his life for his people, but he also takes it up again and raises us up with him. 
Do you see Jesus' heart for the nations? Do you see Jesus' heart for you? And has God opened your heart to love him, but to love the nations that he's put in front of you? Let's pray together. Lord, forgive us, for we love when we have it made in the shade, when we can get away and enjoy the island and we get frustrated with, with people. We don't love them as you do. Lord, you are big hearted and your great love for us was demonstrated most that while we were sinners, you laid down your life for us. Lord, you didn't come because we were good and needed to be made better, but because we were godless and helpless and enemies and people who had run away from you. And we thank you that you've come to seek and to save the lost. And you have had compassion on us and continue to do so even this very day. And as now we come to your table, we're reminded of your great love for your church. And we come running to you into your arms like the prodigal, asking that, Lord, you would have mercy upon us afresh this very day. We ask it in your name. Amen.